go, Van. Good evening, good evening. Is this Doug Bess here? How you doing, Mr. G? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm just sitting there pretty hungry, but I said, man, it's, it's a joy and a pleasure to be invited to speak on the show. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, uh, you know, thank you for you know taking the time out of your busy uh, work life and uh, getting on this show. You know, the show is today we're talking about uh, taxes and finances. Uh, I know you brought up an interesting uh, discussion about uh, CNN has a similar show going on about taxes and finances. But, you know, we want to hear from, you know, the experts and the knowledge, people that got the knowledge on the taxes and finances and, uh, you know, what changes are the tax laws and, you know, how businesses are going to be affected, uh, especially right now during this this pandemic that we're in. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, the premier thing that a lot of people are concerned about now, a lot of people got those unemployment uh, stimulus checks, not the stimulus checks, the EDDs. And what I've been trying to stress to my clients clients over Facebook, we want to make sure that when you get the 1099-G that you bring it into your tax repair, that way you can claim that money. Otherwise, you know, you might run run into a, a pickle somewhere down the line. So what's going to happen, it's income, and that's how they're going to see it. And therefore, you're going to have to pay some federal taxes on it. But it's nothing to be alarmed about. It's just you want to just follow the rules and the guidelines. And just keep moving forward. Can you so, hear me? yeah, I can still hear you. Uh, I was just, you know, letting you, uh, you know, have have your, uh, you know, speak on that. But, but from our my understanding, it, it, the unemployment has always been been taxable. I mean, long as they have the the box check, they have ten percent withheld. But what you're talking about is like the federal government also gave them that, uh, I guess, that stimulus or you know, that's that that six hundred dollar. Uh, payment on top of what the state was given. So that's what, you know, a lot of people were, you know, using to, uh, you know, at least balance their finances and pay their bills. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's the one I'm referring to. And actually, a lot of people, you know, when they initially get the checks, they've been giving them a lump sum of money. So I've been sending a lot of people, been getting the money, a lot of people been getting the checks. And and a lot of people are about a bit concerned about they wondering why, why would I have to pay pay taxes on some money that the government gave you. That's just the rules and the regulations of the RS code. Not going to be a problem, though. How do you see it? I thought money grew on trees. You know, I thought that was free money. No, there's no <laughs> such thing as no free money. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, there are some things where you don't have to pay taxes on, but in this particular instance, yeah, you're going to have to pay a little tax on it. But usually most of my clients, you know, 50, 60% of my clients are those earned income earned income tax credit uh, clients. And I just want to make sure that we don't file a tax return and, you know, just out of neglect or ignorance or whatever the case might be, they don't declare the money. So once you file your tax and you don't put that information in, it might be a week, two weeks, three weeks, and you're going to be concerned 21 days in past, and you're going to be saying, Doug, where's my check? But we didn't file a 1099-G. Therefore, the IRS is going to hold it up. You don't have to worry about that for the state of California, but for the federal system, you got to make sure that you declare the money. So what happens there, your adjusted gross income is going to go higher. If you were self-employed and you made $10,000 and then you got checks for $10,000, that's going to increase your adjusted gross income. I don't want to get too technical with that information, but I just want people that's listening to be aware of that. So for layman's terms, we're talking about that 
1099G, which is a um, self-employment or independent, like a contractor form, is what is going to be in the database. We're talking about the IRS database as well as the Franchise Tax Board database, where if they don't report it, they already going to have that information in the database. Yeah, yeah. So the the 1099G, it's it's the 1099G is a little different from the one that you you're referencing. You talk about a 1099 miscellaneous uh, form, but the 1099G that form is a little different because that one comes directly from the government, and they just use they just use uh, the G. So they don't have to spell the word government all the way out. So it's it's a multiple tool. There's a lot of 1099s, but the normal ones for a person that's unemployed. If you work for me and I give you a 1099 miscellaneous, 1099 MISC, that's what you would get from me because you're an independent contractor. But when you get an unemployment, you're gonna get a 1099G from the government. But you don't have to worry about paying state taxes. The state's not concerned about, it, but the federal government is. Yeah, you and know, so, a lot of 1099s, you might get a 1099R for your retirement or something of that nature. But go ahead. So speaking of that, you know, a lot of those, what about those people that are like Uber and Lyft drivers? Those are the people that's going to get that 1099 uh, independent uh, contractor form. And, you know, that right now is also on the ballot. And just imagine what happens if they wipe out Uber and Lyft. You know, that's going to be, you know, a lot of people are not going to have a job or what they call it, the gig economy. You know, what what are your views about, you know, wiping out those 1099 uh, independent contractors and classifying them as W-2 employees if they decide to uh, stay in California? How many of those yeah, clients I, do you I, run into with the gig economies? Yeah, yeah I, I got a few uh, Uber clients and Lyft clients, but I don't think you're going to wipe the industry out. But uh, from just from my observation of it, so what, what the difference is, if the person is an employee for employee from for a particular company then they're going to take they're going to take the independent taxes out the FICA and those different taxes out immediately but if a person is an Uber driver they should be allowed to be an independent contractor and be able to utilize the 1099 based on the fact that it's you actually you are self-employed because you know you you're not really you're not really on a set schedule and you you're just really waiting for somebody to call you to move forward how do you see it? Well, well, because of the ruling, I think what happened was a couple of individuals, they decided to challenge, uh, I think it was Uber, saying that they uh, misclassified them as uh, independent contractors. And basically, the difference of the two is uh, if you work for me as an employer, and if I control, you know, if I give you your tools or I give you the customer or I give you the client and I, you know, supply everything, you know, and give you a set schedule saying your hours are Monday through Friday from 8 to 10, then that's it's basically a form of control. If the employer controls any part of your time or any part of your income, then you're considered an employee. And I think that's where the challenge came in with the upper and the lower uh, Supreme Court, or at least, the, yes, the, the state courts. And so they're, you know, kind of kicking it back, you know, and that's what the is now up to the voters to decide. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it did – you know, for the taxi cab industry, you know, they're all for this, you know, getting rid of the, you know, probably the Uber and Lyft drivers because, you know, they pretty much lost a lot of their business. But then, you know, it did give people, you know, those 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 gig economies. Um, that's that's where I, you know, I stand at. You know, I'm I'm for it because I do use Uber or Lyft sometimes because, you know, they're 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 faster. You know, you don't got to wait 
40 minutes, 50 minutes, you're going to get you a ride in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and get where you got to go from point A to point B. Yeah, I agree with that. And then, you know, with the second part of that whole thing is if, like you say, if, if the person is an employee of a company, then the employer has to pay that 7.65 taxes right off, off the bat. And so, so the government, they would be, they would be in favor of that. But when a person is an independent contractor, sometimes, you know, they could fudge a little bit. And, and when they file their taxes, the government might not get all the money that they might think that they deserve. That's, that's a big distinction. When you, when you work for somebody, you pay half of the taxes and your employer pay half the taxes. But when you're self-employed, you got to keep this in mind. When you're self-employed, the self-employment tax, you're going to have to pay all of that. And then you got to remember the second part to that is usually you're going to have to do some pre-taxing. You're going to have to pay the quarterly taxes in advance. That's what Trump was talking about when he was trying to pretend like he didn't pay a whole bunch of money. He said that I, pre, I paid pre-taxes. So when you're self-employed, usually you're going to have to – you're gonna to have to pay the quarterly taxes four times before the tax season comes comes around in January the first of each year. Yeah. So, so we're talking about the estimated taxes. So remember, there is a um, there's a catch twenty two with that. If you opt in to pay the quarterly taxes, they penalize you even if you didn't pay it, even if you didn't owe it, because they expect it to be you know paid as if you did owe it. Which is to me is a weird way of, of doing that business. I like saying, you know, you it's an IOU, but then again, even if I don't owe you the IOU, I'm gonna still penalize you for not paying me my IOU. Yeah, there's there's so two parts of that. Now we just talk about it as I'm thinking through it. Is they gonna base it on what you did the previous year and plus what your estimated is. So if the previous year you you paid ten thousand dollars in tax, that's a big number, but it's hypothetical. Therefore, they want you to set aside that ten thousand, but this year you're gonna kind of estimate out what you think that you're gonna make. Uh, I was in that I was in that pickle before, where I didn't set aside no taxes, and then you know at the end of the year I had to pay an uh, outstanding amount. So I'm kind of caught in the middle on that one right there. I don't really know. I'm not really sure which 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 side is most favorable. I prefer. It depends on the business. Um, I mean, how often are they you know getting paid? If if their jobs are a few in between. You know, you know, you don't have a consistent payments coming in. I would, me myself, I wouldn't recommend estimated tax payments because, you know, if their their income is you know inconsistent, but you know they're obligated to make that payment, it doesn't make sense to you know make an estimated payment when you know your income isn't you know consistent. Yeah, then the, you got you got to start considering what your liquidity is going to be. Are you going to have enough cash flow to carry you through the year, or? At the end of the year, am I going to have enough money to pay the taxes? That's why. That's why they created, you know, the code and, and the tax code so a lot of people don't get caught in that um, strangulation at the end of the year. Yeah. And just for, you know, callers that might be, you know, listening, you know, in the future, you know, later on on our um, Spotify channel, you know, where, where, where are you, what, what company are you, you know, you with? And, you know, just introduce yourself a little bit more as far as, you know, what – makes you uh, an industry expert and a tax expert, and, and what city are you calling out of? I'm calling out of Fresno, California. My name's Doug Best. I got a small mom-and-pop operation. We do tax preparation, and we have an EFIN number. We have an EFIN, and I've, I've been trying to get the, uh, the EA license, but 
I, I also got a uh, also got a tree service, so I don't really have the time to set aside the day to study. But I'm here in Fresno, California. You know, we got we got a pretty good business. We got a pretty good uh, client base here in the city, and I'm happy to be able to dialogue with you tonight. And, and what about your clients? I mean, you know, what what is your normal typical demographic? Do you cater to? Do you cater to you know the Latino community? You know, what community, you know, is, is is your clients that you service that you help the most as far as, you know, I mean, you put a lot of time, effort, and energy into, you know, helping, you know, people, everybody, you know, it's a free for all. But what is your most clients that you are, you know, helping the most? I think I got more Latino clients than anybody. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I think I got more. I probably, I say I probably got 55% of my client base is Latinos, but we got a diverse client base. We do. We do just a typical 1040 tax return. You got a W-2, you come in and we'll do it. And every once in a while, you know, we do a corporation. I'm not that well-versed in that one. We do corporations. We do LLCs. We do a lot of earned income tax credit. We got Asian. We got, I got white clients. I got, um, I got car dealerships. I got uh, detail shops. I got a lot of people that do lawn care services. A lot of people that do lawn care services. A lot of people that works in the fields, those are the ones that get those 1099s. And in the end, they don't realize how screwed they are because the average person that works in the field, agricultural fields, they don't realize when they come in, you got to pay taxes on it. And so that's where the dilemma comes in the second time of those 1099 MIFC miscellaneous. But most of the time, people are are living for today and just trying to make sure they can make ends meet and put food on the table for their families. And they're not, you know, uh, you know, trying to be tax experts like us. They don't look at, you know, taxes like us. We're like tax doctors. They don't think about that. They're just trying to, like you said, survival. They're in survival mode, right? Absolutely, they're in survival mode. But uh, yeah, they're in survival mode. Then a lot of people, they got a lot of unscrupulous people out there especially in the agricultural industry. I got a lot, a lot of clients that come in and a lot of clients that come in and they, they make X amount of dollars. All, a lot of them come in with four, five, six, seven, eight, 1099 MISCs that they didn't work for different companies. Uh, uh, Madeira, Fowler, Selma, they got a lot of these little, little plants where they got these, uh, Mexican people working in there, and then when they get the 1099s, and I'll be hating to tell them, you're going to have to pay a lot of self-employment taxes, and oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's not but a good thing. I, but if I recall, I think they passed a law where now they made a lot of those uh, agriculture workers hourly workers, and, you know, another thing that people are not thinking about is they're, they're even if they're independent contractors or they work for an employer, there's a still isn't there? A, there's a tax penalty for not having health insurance, and there's also a double. It's actually a double taxation. You get taxed from the state of California and the federal for not having health insurance. What's your thoughts about that? I'm not really sure on that one because I think they they did away with that. And you remember Trump and them did away with most of that with the Obamacare. Nah. Yeah, so. No, it's still it's still in effect. They could not gut it all the way out. They could not eliminate it because it's some it's 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 the way that they wrote that law. It's 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 a lot of things they can get away with, but I, there's still a tax penalty on that. If you don't have it, you you have to report it because remember, there's a 1095C and there's a 1095A. Uh, hey. Okay. And if so they and if they don't report yeah. that, then they, they withhold they hold up their refund because I have some client. No, we have you know we're in the tax business as well. 
But we got those tax clients saying, you know, I filed my taxes months ago, and the IRS sends them a letter because they're so backed up saying we need a 1095A or we need a 1095C. Yeah, but, you know, really with, with the databases right now, they don't need – with the 1095A, you, you want to use those. I'm going to see if I can make the distinction kind of clear. With the 1095As, those are the ones that you're actually paying. You're paying in the marketplace. And you can just say if you paid uh, $200 a month, and then at the end of the year you didn't pay $2,400. You didn't pay $2,400, but you actually only needed to pay 1800 And therefore, at the end, the government will give you a credit or check back. And with the 1095Cs, usually those come from uh, the state government, social services, or whatever. But yeah. in the data, in the great database now, they don't even ask you for the 1095 too much you know, at all. You know, usually it was a checkbox for you to check to see whether the client had, whether they were covered by medical. It don't even ask you health coverage. They don't ask you for that no more. But with the 1095As, you want to make sure that you put those in because the government has that information available in the database and it'll get, it'll get accepted. But a week or two later, you're going to get something in the mail that says you're going to have to redo it, make an amendment. But, but not a lot of employers file that uh, form in a timely manner. Like the 1099s are due by the end of January 31st. The employer has to either mail it or electronically file it to the IRS or, you know, by any methods to for them to receive it on their end so that they'll have it in the database because sometimes they just don't know. That's why they'll send you that letter, you know, that CPC letter saying, hey, we need additional information. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then usually when that happens right there, a lot of people panic. But uh, with with the databases now, you can go and put the information in and it get electronically filed back to the IRS. And usually you're going to hear a response in the next week or two. Usually two weeks. So we, we're going to move. We're going to move on to uh to the to the business side of this uh, taxes and finances. You know, a lot of people you know got them uh, paycheck protection loans where if they, you know, use that money to pay certain rents and, and retain employees, and, and that some of that money was was, was forgivable, as well as a, I call it the EIDL loan, E-I-D-L, Economic Impact Disaster Loan. Uh, do you have much information on that, or would you like for me to kind of, uh, you know, highlight on that? Yeah, you yeah you could expound on that. I studied it just briefly, but I didn't go in depth. So I don't, I want to make sure that the information that, that, that I carry forward is real accurate. Yeah, I think you, you'd be more of an expert in that area. Yeah, you know, I I, I know I applied for that paycheck protection uh, uh, loan, but I, I didn't qualify. You know, I, I got denied. But, you know, I do know that you had to have a, a relationship with the banker or a bank, and, and they kind of only, you know, gave those loans out, you know, to the uh, selected, you know, or I would say their preferred clients. You know, though that what a preferred client can be, you know, is someone <laughs> – that, you know, has, you know, the money that they, they got money, but they might not need it. But as far as the small businesses, you know, they are, they're left on the sideline. Uh, I do know, like, in, in our community, in the Fresno community, not a lot of African Americans got uh, the Paycheck Protection Loan. I would say less than 1%. Uh, that's just from, you know, surveys or at least uh, case studies that was done. Uh, but I do know if you use that funds, you know, for some of those guidelines, uh, you know, which is on SCA.gov, a website, uh, which you retain, you know, I believe a 70 or 80% of your employees workforce and that money is forgivable. The idle loan, you know, that's a, a loan given by the federal government, I think up to maybe 20 years or 30 years, it's a 30 year loan for a 1% interest rate, which is, you can't beat that. You know, that's a great, 
great, great, great program. But once again, it depends on what banks you bank with. Uh, I do know uh, if you had a Chase bank, if you had a you know, bank with Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you know, those are, the, you know, the biggest top banks that was, uh, you know, handing out those loans as well as Fresno First Bank. They, uh, you know, they, they posted information about how they, uh, you know, gave out so many loans and stuff from the SBA program to their customers. But, uh, but back to the idle loan, I know the grant portion of it is, uh, is considered as taxable income, but the loan portion is considered as a loan and you just only got to report the interest on that, which, you know, that goes back to the 1099 interest form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember initially, I think it was probably about April or so, I was kind of interested in Ron Smith from uh, Sterling and Smith Funeral Home had called me and told me that I think he's got 60000 70000 or something. He said, man, you should pursue this. I called Chase. I got a I got a uh, working relationship with both of them. I got accounts at both Chase and Wells Fargo. Oh, my God. I went to Chase, and you had to make an appointment with somebody, and they never called you back. And I called on a call, and I called Wells Fargo back in New York. I just called the back office. You couldn't get through, and I finally talked to somebody they knew about as much as I knew, which is very little. But on this second wave of the stimulus, I'm going to probably study it a little more. But tax season will be coming up here in January, so I don't know how much time I'm going to have to devote to it. But I, I think that uh, the Congress right now, they're in a deadlock uh, with the House Speaker, uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer, and, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, what's the other guy's name of the, of the Republican Party? Mitch. Yeah. Mitch, yeah, Mitchell. But actually, Mitch McConnell ain't really the, he's not the driving force behind it. It's the uh, Treasury Secretary is the driving force. But I think Mitch McConnell don't necessarily have have the extra 13 votes that they were saying that they need to take the Republicans and the Democrats to be able to pass a bill. Uh, so we just see how it goes from there. Yeah, but they were, they were saying that the you know the way that the the money was 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 handed out um, it was kind of mismanaged because big big top corporations got it and the smaller companies didn't get it. Where now the smaller businesses are in survival mode. You know, they don't know exactly how they're going to keep their doors open. But then, you know, they have this mandate on, you know, only uh, essential businesses are able to operate and open and non-essential businesses have to stay closed. And as I was watching the news, I noticed that France over there in Europe, they're saying that they're getting a second uh, wave of the coronavirus and they're shutting down. And I mean, you know, what what do you think is going to happen with these businesses and, and how, you know, they're you know going to have to you know balance out between, you know, staying open, survival mode and, you know, Looking to this government, you know, at least, you know, hoping that they can get, you know, the second wave of the stimulus money. And you think that part of it will be taxable or you know, what where do you think that's going to fall in it? How do you think that's going to fall? I was listening to Nancy Pelosi on the radio on the TV yesterday on CNN. I think she's on Wolf Blitzer. And she was talking about where the issue is coming at. They're trying to get more money than the Republicans are actually trying to allocate. And she want to make it retroactive. So this is this just a... Um, illustration they say best taxes was closed for four months and best taxes was closed for four months and i didn't get i didn't get no money from the first stimulus program she's saying if you could prove that you know that the four months that you were closed and and it was it was associated with the coronavirus you should be able to get compensation for that and the second thing you know i was i was in mexico for a month and a week 
And the people over there are a lot more sociable. Everybody is close. Everybody mingles a lot more closer. But the whole country was open. I went to the churches. The churches were open. We went to, it's a, they got an indoor uh, shopping mall, the biggest in the world. Oh, my God, this place has a thousand stores in there. And everything is first class. Everything is clean. Everything is clean. But what the point being is they make sure when you go into these different facilities that, that they take your temperature when you go in and they watch you. They got monitors just walking around watching you. And they take your temperature. They make sure that you have the hand sanitizers or whatever. But my point being is that maybe America is going to have to take a page a page from Mexico, a page from other, some of the other countries that, that's opening up. I'm not sure that this economy could keep moving forward if, if the businesses open today and then they close tomorrow. you got to have some perpetual motion in order for a business to be success, successful. You agree? Yeah, because I think they're trying to use this, uh, you know, what they call it, the science. Uh, turn, turn the lights on, turn the lights off. Turn the lights on, turn the lights off. And it's like, okay, you stay in the dark. One business stay in the dark for, you know, seven months. Another business stay in the dark, you know, for a week. Or some business don't even stay in the dark. Their lights are just constantly on. And, you know, once again, they, no one can survive, you know, operating like that. And, you know, it it it, it, it has to have something. Something has to give here uh, where we're going to either go into a, a greater recession or there's either a V curve or a W curve. But um, I know Fresno tried to step in and do a little help, help in, in some of the chambers. You know, Fresno was giving out some grants. But it was contingent on you could not have uh, gotten a paycheck protection loan, or you could not have gotten an idle loan. And if you do get this grant, you have to go through one of their, um, you know, lead agencies that they selected, and you have to also maybe go through some kind of mentorship program and how to be able to maintain your finances. But it doesn't make sense to me on why would you have to go through a, a, a financial education course on how to maintain your finances if you ain't got customers coming in your door to even, you know, keep your doors open. <laughs> what do you think about that? No, I could agree with that. And then I was listening to what you were saying about, about um, when you talk about the curves, economic curves, so the V and the W. What the V is, that's actually good. So what the V means that, you know, like uh, when they talk about uh, uh, when economics, when you got like a V curve, actually I don't think that the word is curve. But it's actually when when everything goes from rock bottom all the way down to rock bottom, it'll shoot straight back up to the top. You you won't, when you're having a downturn, you want it to be a V. You don't want it to be a W because what happens, it goes down, then it goes back up, then it goes back down again, then it comes up. So that takes a lot longer So in those downturns. But back to the part when you're talking about how you got to go through some kind of financial um, mentoring. Uh I'm not sure. Or stipulation. There's usually a stipulation behind it. It's not like, you know, you know, we understand, you know, you're not able to operate. We understand you're closed. But, you know, maybe they don't know exactly on what these lead agencies are, 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 are pushing, you know, businesses to do because, you know, it's almost like, you know, you, you, you can't pay your rent and your mortgage. You go file for unemployment. But when you do go file for unemployment, they're going to say, well, we want you to watch these uh, uh, job readiness webinars so that, you know, when the market do open back up and you get a job, people are going to be you know, already in dire need of already, you know, getting some kind of assistance already. Yeah, you know, there's two things your... going on right now, Mr. G. You know what? The, the the general public and probably me and you are included. We're going through some kind of mental fatigue from this corona coronavirus situation. And the second part is 
the political uh, apparatuses that are fighting back and forth. We don't, it's difficult to tell, you know, what's true and what's not true based on, you know, just looking at the media. So I think we got to just use good common sense and keep moving forward. Good common you, sense, you know. But how do you see passive smoke and mirrors when, you know, you're in survival mode, whether you're, you know, trying to provide for your family, put food on the table, or if you're, you know, self-employed business owner trying to make, you know, to balance, you know, between work and life balance and keep your business open and sustainable when, you know, there there is no future. It's like, where's the hope? Where's the hope? And then now you're going to have to rely on all your schooling, all your training and all. And most important, you're going to have to just use common sense. Then you're going to have to operate off of the fundamental business. You're going to try to live within your means. So if you got $10,000 at your disposal, for surely you don't want to spend the whole 10000 you got to use good common sense all the way through, and then, you know, areas where you see where you're going to have to you're going to have to cut back on expenditures. That's what you're going to have to do and not rely on the government. Because if you totally rely on the government, the government is just going to cripple you. Just got to use good, good fundamental sense all the way through this. Good financial fundamental sense, you know, just good economic fundamental sense and just common sense in general. And like all things, you know, this is going to pass, but we don't know when. You know, you don't want to rely too much on looking at the media, but you want to stay abreast of current events. But you got to stay, mostly you want to stay focused. Stay focused on just looking at your independent niche and then just move forward from there. That's how I see it, and that's how I operate. So it's almost like that saying, tough times pass, but tough people last. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that statement right there. Tough people last. Tough people with independent minds and, and, you know, make sure that you know that you do the due diligence to go forward and don't live... You know, don't just live in no pipe dream. You gotta, you know, you got to be realistic and pragmatic and keep moving forward. That's how I. What see if it. But, but see, I think right now everyone is in an economic bubble and it's gonna burst. How that bubble bursts, you know, that's kind of where you know everything has, like you said, uh, it, it's gonna either self-correct itself or it's gonna go back down and it's gonna come back up again. Uh, but it's been kind of a. Uh, a debatable issue that I've always been, you know, putting out there is people maybe should look towards crowdfunding, you know, on how they can equity finance their business. Like you said, if you depend on the government, you know, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to be, I would call it shipwreck, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And then the second thing, too, you know, when the economy is at an uh, economic downswing, that's really an opportunity. It's really an opportunity. I bought my house, you know, I guess about 10 years ago when the market was, it was a buyer's market. But then now when I look at the real estate market right now, it's a seller's market. Somebody was in my office earlier today and she was asking me, about, should I sell my house? Should I sell my house? And I said, don't sell it at the price that the people are asking you to sell it at. You got to raise the price because the uh, inventory is low. So even though, you know, when everything to the average person is going to seem like, you know, the world has came to an end, the economy is doing bad, that's really a buyer's opportunity. So that's what I was saying. you got to always use, you know, good common sense, good judgment, and, you know, be able to look into the future based on what you've learned in the past. That's how and I so see it. And, and taking that analogy of what you said, if it's a buyer's market, then this is a ripe or prime opportunity 
to be able to try to crowdfund or raise capital from investors looking to invest into a company because right now, like you said, when the economy is down, is a good time to buy. It's like Warren Buffett says, uh, when people are greedy, be fearful, but be fearful when people are, or be greedy when people are fearful and the other opposite around. So it's almost like you have to have that Warren Buffett mindset. But I don't know. I think, you know, people are still not understanding, you know, the means of what, you know, you're saying and what I'm trying to say is, you know, thinking outside of the box here or at least using common sense or, you know, looking at other alternatives or other avenues. Yeah, because I think what happens, so in order to 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 think outside the box, you actually, you, you need some time where, you know, you could, you could devote to studying different issues and, and be able to, you know, just get in different environments and be able to see different things. But the average person, they got to go to work. They got to go to work. They got to pay the bills. Then they got to go home, and then they got to live and take care of all the activities that they got to do at home. So you don't really have enough time to to study and then know how to look at the economy. So what ends up happening, we, we rely too much on the media. And like you were saying earlier, it's the smoke and mirrors. But won't you just expound a little bit on, on that, um, what you were just talking about, about the funding? I remember I read somewhere, it might have been on your Facebook page or somewhere where you were involved in that in that funding. So what what, what I mean by that is, is, is it took me a long time to come to, you know, looking at other options. I'm talking about private equity. You know, this is something that isn't correlated to the stock market, so it doesn't have nothing to – it's not tied to the economy. It's tied to, you know, risk. It's tied to, you know, if you're an investor and you invest into my company, is my product, you know, you got to think like Shark Tank. Is this product scalable? Is this business scalable? It's almost like you know this restaurant before this economy hit has some good food, packed with businesses. And if the banks are telling them, no, you can't get a loan because, no, in order to get a loan from the bank, you got to have a certain amount of money in the bank anyway for them to loan against that money. But if you're an investor, you're looking at this business saying, okay, I know this is a booming business. It's just, like you said, it has to, the economy has to take time to correct itself. And if it did, you know, you have an ownership in this business. So now you're buying up all these businesses, you know, that these banks are, you know, the bank, the, the, the bank criteria or the, or, the, or the underwriter, the way they think of things, they're going to pass up this uh, opportunity, this investment opportunity. Like you're saying, you buy a house when the market is down and you sell it, you know, when the market is, is high. And the investor has an opportunity because now they have a contract and they have ownership where you buy into this business when the, when the market is, 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 is low and you sell it back to the business or you buy the business buys it back from you at a, at a higher amount. And now, you know, this business still, you know, they, it's a win-win for the business and a win-win for the investor. And, you know, you have these uh, hedge funds, private equity funds. It was a company I think I, I looked at called Blackstone. You ever heard of that investment company called Blackstone? They bought a yeah. They bought a they bought a company from another company, an asset management company, for I want to say ten or fifteen billion dollars. It was a real estate company. Billion. We're not talking about millions. We're talking about billions. I mean, they are like you know they 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 take they take an opportunity and they and they seize the opportunity. And you know every business isn't investable. You know it's like. Everything isn't all good. Everything you buy isn't all good. So, you know, the, you have to do your own due diligence. But going back to what you were saying is, you know, we went through and, you know, I, I, I spent $15,000 to, 
and an accounting firm to audit my books. So if an investor want to know how 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 our books look and what income and what you know what shape we're in, they're going to get you know an opinion and an audited statement. Like if you go and buy some stocks, you're going to know how that stock is performing, which means you're going to know how this, our business is performing before you invest. The other part of it is you know we're registered you know on the on the Security Exchange Commission as a private company to, to accept private investment. The third thing is we have you know lawyers that is so in the United States every everybody's ranked. Everyone has a number behind their performance. So we have like one of the, the I think the top under the top 200 law firm that's going to take our company public. You know, where they're going to file all the reports, they're going to make sure, you know, they're going to go through like the, it's like an interview for a job. They're going to want to see our resume. And then they're going to put their, you know, seal of approval on it, as well as the auditors and the accountants going to put their seal of approval on it. Then they're going to submit it to the government, where now, right here, I'm, you know, going through my, my, my role show saying, hey, if you give me $1, I'm going to give you equity into my company at 16 cents on the dollar. So that means if you put if you buy the stock for sixteen cents and it sells for a dollar, how much is your return? You know, you pretty much have over, you know, damn near seven, eight times, you know, return on your investment. But there's risk with that. And so that's kind of why I you know, going back to your question on what I know is because I'm not gonna tell you to drive a Ford if I don't own a Ford and I ain't driving a Ford. I'm not gonna tell you to go get a Chevy if I don't own a Chevy and I'm not driving a Chevy. I'm riding in the car that I'm preaching or I'm, you know, talking about. I'm, I'm pretty much walking the walk and talking the talk, but at the same time, I'm not going to present false or fraudulent or, you know, um, prompt up information to over, overstate or overhype it. It is what it is if you want to, like you said, take the time when you come home from your busy day and do the, and, and, and do the research and do the study. But uh, I got you, and I understand what you're saying. You're saying, so it's, it's called... Uh, Crowdfunding? Is this what it's called? It's, it's crowdfunding in a sense, but see, this is going back to what Obama did. So back in 2012, most people would, I don't even know about this until years later, Obama and Congress passed a law called the JOBS Act, J-O-B-S Act, which is called Jump Start Our Business Startup Act. What he said was too many small businesses are struggling to raise capital to become publicly traded companies because the cost is, was so expensive back then. You're talking about fifty over a hundred thousand dollars to go public. So we're looking at what business has a hundred thousand dollars in the bank because the bank ain't going to finance you to go public. They'll underwrite it, like Chase and some of the big banks. They'll get their you know cut of saying you know what they'll sell these stocks like like Fidelity or or or, or Charles Schwab or or, or E Trade. They're getting their cut, you know, when they was charging those commissions and broker fees. But at the same time. They said, oh, how are we going to be able to help these companies become big companies? So that's what that's about. You start off with the, with, with the phases called private equity until you raise enough capital or enough invest seed investments to become able to become public companies, which is called public capital mar public markets, you know, become publicly traded. So that's kind of the process. But, you know, when you buy a stock from a private company, you can't go and take it to a broker's like, you know, for example, uh, Charles Schwab and trade it. You have to keep it for a year. It's called lockup, you know, so you can't sell it for a year. And there's all these other different rules and regulations and stuff, but it has value to it. It has time and value, which, you know, it's pretty much supposed to appreciate. 
once the company goes public, if you bought it for sixteen cents, just say hypothetically you bought the stock for sixteen cents, and a year from now, or eighteen months from now, or even two years from now, it's selling for thirty dollars a share or twenty-seven dollars a share. How much have you returned on your investments? And you own a million of them. I can see that, but but right now the only only downfall that I can see in that in that scenario the volatility of, of the economy right now, and like we were saying earlier, the average investor, the average investor is now they're a little reluctant to invest in anything unless you got a blue chip company like Coca Cola, Apple Computer, Microsoft, those kind of things because they name brands. But I could see, I could see the rationale and the theory about what you're saying. But, right but now, even if it was a blue chip company, you got to look at what blue chip company had got delisted. PG, I mean, uh, what was it called? General Electric. They were a blue chip company. I think they were in the not the Nasdaq, but they were on the uh, other other exchange. The um, the NY the, the NY they were on the Nasdaq. They got delisted because they just they, their stock fell. Yeah, they fell below. You know, and then. So even uh, what was another blue chip company that was there? I think it was uh, Dell. Dell was at one point public, but they said, you know what? We don't want to. We, we want to become private again. And so all blue chip companies were private companies. But the difference is that they made it to where you have to be an accredited investor. That is where the rubber meets the road because now we're talking about you have to make two hundred thousand dollars a year. You only can put in two thousand dollars, ten percent of your income. But they, they started making changes about that now, so it's constantly changing. But at the same time, you know, only 35 individuals like regular people can invest. But, you know, that's okay because you only got 35 educated or 35 uh, sophisticated people that understand, you know, the long-term, you know, investment of what they, you know, investments can grow and potential can be, which is those are your investors. I got you. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You're trying to find some competent people that's willing Correct. to invest in the company and help yeah. them grow and go forward. I'm with you about, you know, General Electric. I remember I read the book, Jack Welch. Jack Welch, uh, he worked for IBM. Then he, he the one that took General Electric to the next level. Yeah, but. And, yeah, and then you got to yeah, look at what I, Facebook employees did. So I believe it was so many Facebook employees made millions before Facebook went public. Because one, they had stock options. And BET, don't forget about BET. <laughs> Robert Johnson, tell me about, baby. Tell me about BET. What you know about BET? Because they don't. He, he sold mean, the company. You know, he sold the company, right? Yeah, he sold the company. But you remember, uh, he he was preaching the same the same sermon that you preaching. He was telling everybody, you know, take some shares in in the company. But a lot of people saying, no, I want a bigger salary. He says, no, take some shares in the company, and then had. They had uh, literally thousands of people walked away millionaires, a lot of them. So just imagine. Hundreds, not thousands. So this message is just for a handful of people that are listening that, like you said, can comprehend to what we're saying, whether they're, you know, whatever they do with their day during the day or during the evening, you know, or in the bed sleeping, they can now go on to Spotify and really, 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 really try to like get meaning out of what we're talking about and hopefully our show about taxes and finance we got to have a part two about this you know we got to make a part two 
And, and you know, I, once again, I appreciate your time. I know you said you're hungry. I don't want to keep you, you know, away from the dinner table because I know your 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 girl is gonna take real good care. You probably got a big big hearty man's plate. You know, I might want to just do a drive by or something to come get me a plate. No, what no, you got? Let me tell you what we got in there. We got the double chicken toast uh, tostado chicken from Pollo Loco. She just came in and looked at me. Yeah, yeah, but Mr. Dale, it was my pleasure. But what I want to do the next time before I come on, I want to do like a little. Uh, uh, impromptu tune up and make sure that you know that I could be a little more abreast about the subject matter that we're gonna talk about. Study for a week and then then we can go a little deeper. I love it, man. I enjoy it. I need the well, one, psychological stimulation. Well, well, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, end the show for tonight, man. And once again, my pleasure on, on on having this conversation with you and you know putting this out there, you know, for the community and for those people to you know get some knowledge, you know, from somebody that you know is working this industry that in this kind of business, knows about taxes, knows about finances, knows about real estate. I mean, you know, we're touching on all of the, you know, the wealth, 10 principles, on the wealth principles. You know, there's 10 principles of wealth, but, you know, we touched on a lot of these principles of wealth tonight. You know, once again, I appreciate your time. You know, stay safe. And uh, we look forward to having this uh, uh, radio show with you at, uh, at one point in the future again. Thanks. I appreciate it, Mr. G. Good night. All right. Have a good night. All right.